Father, we thank you for your word. It is precious. It's sweeter than honey. It's more valuable than gold because it makes us wise for salvation. Without your word, God, or without someone speaking to us the, the, the gospel, the pinnacle of your, of your, your word, we're, we're left in the dark about who you truly are and who Christ truly is. We can see from creation your general revelation, but we need your word either read or spoken to us to see your special revelation. And so, God, we praise you and we thank you that you have chosen to condescend and to reveal yourself to us, that you've chosen not to stay in the dark, but to make yourself known to us through your word and, and through the pinnacle of your word, Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God. We want to see Jesus today as we open up the scriptures. We want to see Jesus on display as we turn to your word. We want to see Jesus on display as we see our friends get baptized in, in a public display of their trust and faith in him. And so, God, we pray that you would send your spirit to move our minds from the state of distraction or, or thinking about what's next or thinking about what's wrong to seeing Jesus. So God, send your spirit to draw our hearts and our affections and our desires towards your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. We're continuing our series on the parables, and uh, this is uh, one of the, the final parables that we're, we're going through. We've got a couple more left. Um, this one is a, a, a really compelling parable. Uh, you'll see it as we, as we jump in. The context here in Luke chapter 7 is uh, this is a section of Luke where people are asking the question, who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus really? And we get this encounter, and we're going to see a couple of characters as we look at this parable. We're going to see the character of the Pharisees, uh, Simon, the religious leaders and teachers of the day, respected, authoritative, and well thought of. And yet Jesus had many confrontations with them. We're going to see Jesus, who is, who is setting the region ablaze and just buzzing in notoriety and, and fame because of his preaching and his healing ministry. And then we're going to see an outcast, a woman of the city. And we're going to see what happens when you invite those three people to a, to a meal, to a dinner party. We see what type of sparks fly when you get the religious establishment Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and a woman of the city together around the table. Luke 7, 36. Luke, the physician and the historian, records for us. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, this is look, heads up, pay attention, wake up now. Look, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he, Jesus, said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's something about Jesus that compels this woman, this woman of the city whose sins are many. There's something about Jesus that compels her. It's likely that the streets in the region, not likely, it's fact that the region is buzzing about Jesus of Nazareth, the man who is teaching like no one has ever taught, who is healing like no one has ever taught, who speaks with authority like no one has ever spoken. And not only is word buzzing around the region that Jesus is one of a kind, you've got to go see him, but word around the region is buzzing among a certain sect of society. Word around the region is buzzing among the outcasts. Because the Pharisees would preach and say, you sinners, you tax collectors, you extortioners, you prostitutes, you criminals, you lower class people, God has mercy for you, but you need to get clean first. And then Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. He says, turn from your ways, your sin, to me, trust me, turn to me, and you are accepted. And so it's buzzing among the outcasts, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the disabled, the criminals, the outcasts of society. They're all saying, you've got to go see this teacher, Jesus, who is healing us, who is, who is uh, telling people they're forgiven of their sins before they even lift a finger. You've got to go see him. So it is almost guaranteed that this woman has been hearing about Jesus. And it's probably likely that this woman has not only been hearing about Jesus, but has heard him herself that she's been on the, the, uh, the fringe of the crowds that come to see him teach, and she's listened in and she's heard the message of Christ that salvation and acceptance from God comes by grace through faith, not through moral goodness. And we get this clued in because look at the text. Look at what Luke, the doctor and historian, leaves for us. 37, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So she learns that Jesus is going to be near. He's going to the religious leader's house. And so she says, I got to be there. I got to go see Jesus. Now, uh, this is most likely that this woman has heard Jesus preach before. She was deeply moved by his teaching. It's very likely that she has already seen Jesus teach and said, I believe in him. I trust him. And now she's finding out he's going to be close, and she wants to go and show herself to him and show her loyalty, show her devotion, and say thank you. They say thank you that you're not like the other religious teachers that were going to tell me I need to clean myself up or I could never come to God. She wants to go and see the one who has proclaimed over her life grace and mercy. So she brings what she's got. She brings her ointment. She finds out she, he's at the Pharisee's house. She says, I'm going to go there even though these people think I'm the lowest of the low. 
And this is how compelling Jesus is. She is compelled by the unique, one-of-a-kind grace of Jesus Christ. One uh, biblical scholar from Baghdad puts it like this. He says, There is no doubt the woman has heard previously the teaching of Christ and was deeply moved by it and believed and repented and was anticipating a chance to make visible her thanks to Jesus and to confirm the forgiveness of her sins and her salvation. So she shows up at the dinner party. Now, we see what happens at the dinner party. She, she shows up. She starts weeping, crying, washing Jesus' feet. And the, the Simon the Pharisee is saying, this is weird. And if he knew what type of woman this was, he would back away. If he really was of God, he wouldn't let this person touch him because God stays away from dirty people. God only comes to clean people, according to the Pharisees. And Jesus jumps into a parable and teaches a lesson. Now, what I want you to see is she's compelled by the uniqueness of Jesus, but the second thing that happens here, uh, one of the, the, the next things that's happening in this narrative that we might miss is that this is a highly charged dinner party. This is one of the most awkward scenes that we have in the scriptures. Now, I want you to think, when you go to someone's house, when someone invites you to their home and you walk in, what do you usually expect? Maybe a hello, a wave, right? If they're really nice, they'll take your coat, offer you some water. You might ask, do I take my shoes off? Do I keep them on? What's policy in your house, right? You're going to have some, hey, how are you? Good. Glad you're able to make it. Great. Uh, sit, take a seat, have a water. Let me get your coat. Sit here. Don't sit there. That chair will break, right? You're going to just have some sort of interactions. What happens with Jesus when he comes into the Pharisee's home? Nothing no welcome, nothing. This is why this is so charged. He comes into the home and he has to seat himself. He gets nothing. But look at verse 44. Simon does nothing. And when Jesus gets further into his teaching, look at what Jesus says. 44, you gave me no water for my feet. I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Now, what are these guys wearing? Are they wearing Jordans? What are they wearing? Sandals right? Those things that you hate to wear, when you, but you only wear when you go to the beach. They're wearing those things. And guess what? There's not sidewalks, right? And, and they go a lot by horse, mule, donkey, right? So a lot of their um, things are on the ground, right? And so your feet, when you come into a home, you, the first thing you want to do as courtesy to yourself, as courtesy to the aroma in the place, is you want to wash your feet. This is common decency in this culture. And Jesus says, I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But what? But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon is insulting Jesus. So I don't welcome you here. I'm inviting you here, but I'm testing you. I don't welcome you here. Look at the next thing. You gave me no kiss. If you know some friends who are, um, who are I don't mean this disparagingly, if you have friends that are very, very wealthy, the way they greet, um, the way they greet one another is they do the peck on the cheek right? We have good neighbors that we do that. And at first I was like, why is, why is he giving a peck on the cheek to my wife? And I was like, oh yeah, they're, they're a lot richer than we are. This is, this is just what you do when you're really cultured people. Um, it's just very common. You see this in France, you see this in Africa, you'll see, you'll see this to, the, to, the, to this day in certain, in Palestine, Israel, in certain places, right? Greet with a holy kiss. It's a way of affection. It's a way we do a hug. It's a way to do the, the kind of the peck on the cheek. You don't really do it. You'll look poor if you do that. You just go like that. You kiss the air. 
My beard will scratch. That's why no one does it with me. So, so it's a way of welcome. It's a way of welcome. It's a way of affection. But look at what Jesus says in 45. You gave me no kiss. You gave me no kiss. You gave me no welcome in your home. But what? But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 46. You did not anoint my head with oil. A refreshment, a sign of respect, a sign of blessing. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Do you, do you understand the insulting that's happening to Jesus right here? I mean, th- these are shots fired by Simon and the Pharisees. And as the woman sees this, as the woman is seeing this happen, she weeps. She weeps, one, because she is so thankful to see her Savior, but she's also weeping because she recognizes that her Savior, the one who has had mercy on her, is being insulted viciously by the religious leaders of the day. She weeps and says, they do not love you, but I know what you've done for me. I love you. They do not welcome you. I welcome you. They are not blessing you, but I will bless you and show my great love to you because of your great love for me. And Simon is seeing this welcome. Simon is seeing how Jesus is being welcomed by this woman, this woman of the city, maybe a prostitute, we don't know exactly, this woman of the city whose sins are many. Seeing this and he thinks to himself, man, if if he really was son of God, if he really was the savior, he would know what kind of low class woman this is who's touching him and he would get away because God doesn't go towards, towards broken people like this. And Jesus, knowing Reading, understanding, seeing, thinking, knowing what Simon is thinking, he says, let me tell you a, uh, let me tell you a teaching. And he tells, a, he tells a story about two debtors, two debtors, and they can't pay their debt, 500 denarii, this is about 20 months worth of wages, uh, 50 denarii is about two months worth of wages, both have a debt they can't atone for, but somebody graciously cancels their debt. Which person is going to love the debt canceler more? Which person is going to love the Savior more? Jesus is clearly showing he is the debt canceler by his atoning death. Which one? And Simon is asked a question by Jesus. And when Jesus asks you a question, you're best off to plead the fifth because he's going to get you somehow. And Simon says, well, I guess the one who had the bigger debt, where is this going? And he says, yeah, the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. And what Jesus is showing is he's showing is if you have a greater awareness of your brokenness and sin, when you see Jesus' mercy, you will love him more. The whole big idea of this, of this text is really uh, the greater the grasp of grace, the greater love you will have for Christ. It's a great grasp of grace that produces a love that's great. So when you see the mercy of Jesus in a deep way, it produces a love that is deep. And what Jesus is showing us here is that not only is grace needed, as he tells this parable, not only is grace needed for somebody like the woman whose sins are many and visible, but grace is needed for someone like Simon who thinks he's so hoity-toity and so upper class that he has no baggage or garbage in God's sight. That grace is needed for the both of them. And Jesus says this in 47, I tell you, her sins which are many. I love, I love, <laughs> love 47. How would you like to be there? Jesus is talking about you. Yeah, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. <laughs> How would you like to be like, thanks, Jesus, right? I'm with you, right? Come on, man, right? But notice what he does. Notice what grace does, right? It's a grasp of grace that produces a love that's great. But notice grace doesn't excuse our sins. 
Jesus doesn't say, hey, this woman here who is devoted to me, her sins are zero. No, he says, yeah, you're right, Simon. Her sins are many. You know what you're wrong about? She doesn't need to clean herself up. She gets mercy first. If you look at the order when Jesus in John, John chapter 8 is, is, uh, is interacting with this woman who has who is committed adultery and the religious teachers, they want to stone her. They want to render judgment upon her. And Jesus says, uh, I, I don't condemn you. Then he says, go and sin no more. The religious leaders flip that order. They would say, sin no more, and then we won't condemn you. But that's not the order of the Bible. That's not the order of Christianity. That's not what Christ has come to do. He has come to give mercy to us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection in our place, so that out of that mercy, we would walk in a new way. We would live in a new way. But we receive mercy and grace first and along the path of new living. We don't live different in order to get mercy. Mercy changes us, saves us right where we are. And then that mercy begins to work out in our hearts because it's the grasp of grace that produces a love that is great. You see, this woman, when she comes face to face with her Savior in this way, she's going to have a desire from within the heart to turn from her broken ways into Christ's life-giving ways. Grace is going to call her and compel her into a new way of living. And so Jesus says, this woman that has many sins, her sins are forgiven. Notice what he says in the text. He says that her display, 47, her sins are forgiven for she loved much. If you look at uh, verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Clearly what he's saying then in 47 is that her display of love is proving that she does know forgiveness. And then in 50, it's her faith that saves her, not the display of love. It's her faith in what Jesus has done for her. It's the grasp of grace that produces a love that's great. Do you know what this means for us? Do you know, do you know why this parable is so critical? Not only for people on the outside wondering about Jesus, seeing that it's grace unmerited that restores us to God. This parable is also critical for people who've been following Jesus for a long time and people who think, ah, I know the gospel, I know Jesus died for my sins, I know that, da, da, da. Eh, what else? Maybe we wouldn't say it like that, but like, what else? Jesus is giving us the key, not only for people who are saying, man, what is Jesus like? He's giving us the key for the people who know Jesus to show them the reason you are apathetic in your faith, the reason you have no spiritual fervor, the reason you lack in spiritual energy, the reason you lack in passion for Jesus is because you do not understand that you have been forgiven much. When you understand you've been forgiven much, you love much. It's a very simple principle that he lays out here. Why is someone calling me? Unknown. Deny. No one calls me. My wife will testify, nobody ever calls me. This is strange. I must have been making a great point. It's a distraction coming in. Jesus is showing the key to spiritual fervor, spiritual passion, love for Jesus. It's not good preaching primarily. It's not the right music. It's not even primarily great spiritual practices. It's not doing the right book study. As important as and good and good as those things are, the key to spiritual love for Jesus is a 500 denarii sense of your need. When you have a 500 denarii sense of your need for God's grace, you will love Jesus deeply. you will never move on from his grace from you. The sad part is, most of us, we walk around with the 50 denarii sense of our need. 
We understand that we're sinners. We understand that we're broken. We understand that we don't follow God the way he calls us to. But we really don't have the depth of understanding of how needy we are before God. Because we have a sense of our need, but we also have an inflated view of self where we look at ourselves compared to others, or we look at ourselves in contrast to other Christians, or we look at ourselves in contrast to our family, and we look and we say, well, I know I have need. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. I know all those things, but mm, I'm not that bad. We might never ever say that, but subconsciously, that's where we're at. Jesus would tell you, if you lack love for him, but you trust him, but you lack deep love for him, it's because you have a smaller grasp of grace and your need than what's really true. So the question for us is, is this, do you have a 500 denarii sense of your need for God's mercy and grace, or do you have a 50 denarii sense of your need, or do you maybe have no sense of your need, and these are new things that you're beginning to consider today? Jesus in this parable is declaring, the more you are clued into your brokenness, the more you will celebrate the beauty of God's mercy. Now, people who are not clued into their brokenness, who do not have a 500 denarii sense of their need, they treat God as being a useful thing in their lives. He's useful. They pray to him. They, they have a real relationship with Jesus, but, but he's not the treasure of their lives. This woman, Jesus is all she's got. She's willing to embarrass herself. She's willing to scandalize herself in order to identify with Jesus. She lets down her hair and weeps and washes her feet with her hair. In this society, you let down your hair in the presence only of your husband. She's willing to say, I, he, he is mine. I identify with him. She has this passion because she understands the depth of her need. See, people who are wrecked by their brokenness, they don't treat God as just useful, but he's the center of their life who is altogether beautiful and lovely. He's their everything. The question for us from this parable is, God useful to us or is God beautiful to us? Do we understand how much he loves us? And if we do, then we, un then we will grow in our devotion and love for him. There's a scene in the movie um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, the whole idea of the movie is that these uh, captains or these military people are trying to save Private Ryan, right? Um, so they're going out to save him. They finally get it done. Spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, it's your own problem. It came out in like 1998. Uh, so <laughs> don't get mad at me. Um, and as he's being saved, as they're saving Private Ryan, the guy that, um, the, the guy, one of the guys that saved him, his, his last dying words to him. Anybody know, anybody remember this from the movie? His, his dying words to him are, earn this. He's basically saying, we died for you. We died to save your life. Earn this. Show, sh like live a good life. Earn this. Uh, and, and the guy, he's the last breath of his life. Earn this, Private Ryan. Earn this, Private Ryan. And then you get the last scene of the movie. It cuts, a camera cuts to, an, to uh, Private Ryan, who's now old and elderly, and he goes to the grave of the man that saved him, the man that said, earn this. And he goes to the grave and he says this, every day I think about what you said to me on that bridge. I've tried to live the best life I could, and I hope that that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I earned what you have done for me. So his drive to live was, was this call to, to earn this, earn this earn this. 
right? But do you, do you know what Christ's dying words are? He's dying on the cross in our place for our sins, for the sins of all who trust in him. Do you know what his last words are? They're not earn this. They're, it is finished. He doesn't say earn this. He says, it is finished. Why? He, he's saying the work is done. Salvation is accomplished. You don't, you don't have to earn it. It's earned for you. I earned it. I did the work. I merited this for you. I'm giving it to you. It's finished. Rest in the fact that it's finished. And now when you understand that it's finished, you'll live in devotion to me because you understand this is a gift freely given of grace. This isn't given to you so that you could earn it back or I'm hoping you'll pay it back or I'm hoping you'll marry it. It's finished. It's done. And this woman understood that, which is why she pours out her love and devotion in such a unique way. She says, he's done it all for me, so I live completely for him. It's the gospel of grace. The Pharisees say, earn it, earn it, earn it. Jesus says, trust me, it's finished. Now follow me. It's the grasp of grace that produces the love that's great. When we see all Christ has done for us, we become like the woman, devoted to him. So a question for us is this, are we Simon or are we the woman? Will we cherish Jesus' grace by faith and rejoicing like the woman? Or like Simon, will we be kind of cool and indifferent to it? This is the question, not just for our lives in general, but really for every single day. When we're grasped by his great grace over and over and over and over again, we rest in his love and we display our love to him by following him faithfully. Let's take a moment uh, to, to pray. As we pray, I want to encourage you to just reflect on the depths of Christ's grace for us. As we pray, uh, Jeremy and the band are going to come back up and they're going to lead us um, in song. Um, during this song, I want to encourage, uh, I want to ask you if you've if you got kids upstairs to, to go up during this song and bring them back down. And after this song, we will celebrate baptisms, celebrate the great grace of Jesus. And we want our kiddos and, and volunteers up there to celebrate and see and rejoice with us. So pray with me. Uh, and then during this song, if your kids are upstairs, to go and grab them and they will come down. And after the song, we will, we will celebrate the grace of Jesus in the lives of our friends. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus that is great. We thank you that you have not uh, commanded us to earn it, but that in Christ you have achieved it for us. We ask that you would help us to grasp the depths of Christ's grace and also the depths of our need. God, that we would never grow past the, the beautiful and central truths of the gospel. That you love this world so much that you sent your son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Would that not become old news to us, but would that be the bedrock of our lives? who would celebrate and enjoy the great grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray that as we get ready to sing in response to the good news of the gospel, as we get ready to see baptism, a display of the gospel's work in, in the lives of our friends, that we would rejoice and we would worship. Draw our hearts to, to sense and to know all that you've done for us, Christ. We pray in your name. Amen.